Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Carey, today, and our guest is Dr. Mark Verkler. Uh, Mark Verkler is founder of Communion with God Ministries and president of Christian Leadership University. He has uh, been, he, he was a pastor of a church for at least 20 years, I believe, and um, you authored, how many books have you authored now, Mark? Is it the, in it the some, 50, 40 range? Somewhere's over 50, eh? Don't keep count. <laughs> <laughs> over 50 books. Oh, that's incredible. Well, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Mark. So one of the books that I'd love to focus on today and the teaching that you're most well-known for is called The Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice. And I know that you have, uh, that book has been translated into many different languages, right? And you've taught this content all around the world for uh, how how many years now? How long ago was it that God gave you this message? 40 years, I've taught it around the world and it's in 55 languages right now. Wow, That's, that's incredible. Yes. And a message and, and uh, content and tools that uh, really, when I implemented it, have totally changed my life and, and my relationship with God went so, so much deeper that um, I, uh, I mean, it went to places I didn't even realize were possible, you know, so that was the impact that this content had on me. So um, I'd love to hear how you came about to write this book. What brought you to write this book, Mark? <laughs> Well, Michael, all my books come out of my own personal battles and struggles <clears throat> in trying to make Christianity work properly. And um, <clears throat> I got saved at age 15 in a very conservative fundamentalist church. And, and uh, there was a deep hunger within me instantly to be a biblical man. So I read to the Bible and noticed people could all hear the voice of God. And I said, man, I want to do this. And uh, my, my church said, no, you can't do that. I said, why not? They said, well... It's a different dispensation, and God doesn't talk anymore like that. It's, we just live out of the Bible. And I thought, well, that's depressing. <clears throat> and, of course, they said there's no miracles, there's no healing, no deliverance, no nothing. I thought, great. I live in the dumpster age. You know, I wish I lived in Jesus' age where all this wonderful stuff was happening. So mm-hmm. I really rejected what they said because I'm quite sure it was wrong because the Bible was very, very clear. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So that's not, we don't hear, that's we hear. And he didn't say they may be here. He said, we, they hear. <clears throat> so I left the church because I knew they weren't practicing biblical principles. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, and I began to search on how to hear God's voice. And uh, it was a 10-year search. Very, very frustrating. Very, very, because it didn't come easy to me. I mean, the right-brainers who are intuitive and visionary you know, the intuitive flow comes easy and visions come easy. I'm a left brain thinker. So reason and logic comes easy, you know, and, and intuition and, and vision, uh, which is where the voice of God is going to be registered. Uh, those things are the right side of the brain, which is not where I live naturally. I live naturally on the left side of my brain. So, so I would ask people, you know, I did everything I knew to hear God's voice and nothing worked. I mean, I, I read the Bible through and still couldn't hear his voice. I, fasted 40 days and still couldn't hear God's voice. I asked people who were could hear God's voice, how to hear God's voice. And they gave me really worthless answers. Like, oh, you just know that you know that you know. <laughs> and I said, no, <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Don't tell me I know. That makes me really mad, you know. And, yeah. and I went to Bible college and got a degree. And that didn't teach me how to hear God's voice. And <clears throat> I invited a traveling charismatic teacher into our church to teach on the ninefold <clears throat> manifestation of the spirit. 
And I took him home afterwards and said, what's God's voice sound like? He said, oh, it's what most people consider the voice of God is nothing more than the subterranean rumblings of the spiritual mind. I thought, what? <laughs> no voice of God, huh? I said, that's the, and you, and you teach on the ninefold manifestation. I was so mad. I, I just, these were a couple of times I just backslid. I got so angry. I just backslid because I said, there is nobody who can actually tell me how to hear God's voice. And I can't believe there's nobody can tell me how to hear God's voice, even those who do it, they still can't tell me. And so I reverted to living on a biblical law, <clears throat> find a rule in the Bible and just try to keep it and grunt real hard to keep it. And of course, that's living out of legalism and self-effort and self-strength, and that's Phariseeism. But, and that's not cool, but I didn't have any other choice because I sure couldn't live and walk by the Spirit because I couldn't hear the voice of the Spirit. I couldn't see the vision of the Spirit. <clears throat> I didn't have a choice. You either reject Christianity altogether or just live out of biblical law and be a Pharisee. So I chose biblical law and became a Pharisee. And <clears throat> excuse me. So that's, that's the background as to the struggle I went through in trying to learn God's voice. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole thing in the back burner from till a thought came to me one morning, which was, hey, why don't you, uh, uh, the thought that came to me was, why don't you take, take a year of your life and learn to hear God's voice? <laughs> now that thought was a spontaneous flowing thought, which I mm -hmm. have since defined as, oh, that, that's God's voice. God's voice comes as spontaneous flowing thoughts that light up on your mind. <clears throat> but no one had ever, ever been able to say that sentence to me. That God's voice sounds like a spontaneous flowing thought that lights up on your mind. I'd never heard that sense. So I had this spontaneous thought to take a year of my life and learn to hear God's voice. And I objected to it. I said, I went to college. We didn't take a year to learn anything. We had five courses every trimester, 15 <laughs> courses a year. You don't take a year to learn something. You read a book in two days and you go on to something else. So a second thought comes floating through, which is, you know, you've spent 10 years in diffused effort. You didn't get through if you spent one year in focused effort and got through, it'd be the best year of your life. And I said, now that's a good thought. Because at that point, I had read enough in the Gospel of John to see that Jesus said six times, I do nothing on my own initiative. It's only what I hear my father speaking and see my father doing. So if I'm going to imitate Christ and live like Jesus, I need to learn how to hear and see. That's the center, center of his life. That is the center of Christianity. If I can't do that, well, then there's no way I can live Christianity out. And if it's impossible to do that, maybe Christianity is not even real. <clears throat> if it's not real, I go find out what is real. But I'm sure tired of playing the game. So mm -hmm. I said, fine, I will spend a year of my life focused on learning to hear God's voice. And, uh, and this book came out of what I learned during that year of focus. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is quite a process. And I remember hearing the same words from, from people you know that you know that you know, and um, the still small voice was the only the only one. I, I think you didn't mention that. Uh, you know the um, in yeah. Where is it in Elijah? The uh, yeah, he's not in the lightning or the, yeah, the rumbling. Um, but uh, that still small voice, and and uh, that was the only extra piece that I that I had gotten along the way. And but, well, I got um, that I got that piece too, but I didn't have a still small mm -hmm. voice in my mind nor did I have mm -hmm. inner knowings in my mind. So neither, neither one of those helped me at all. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of still small voices going on in my head. That was the problem. With, uh, well, there were a lot of them. And, I would define those as thoughts. There's a lot of thoughts roaming around in my head. I don't mm -hmm. think I ever called them voices at that point in time. Maybe at this point in time, I'd call them voices because they're either voices of demons or voices of the Holy Spirit. So I've now matured in my understanding that thoughts aren't just me thinking. It's, Mm -hmm. You break thoughts into three categories, the analytical 
linked ones are you are me thinking the spontaneous cruddy ones are coming from demons and the mm-hmm. spontaneous good ones are coming from the holy ghost so yeah so at this point i think i could call those voices although i never would have back then right yeah and you mentioned something um that you you did bring up in in the book too on left brain um the left brain why why did god give this message to someone who's left brain and not someone who's right brain right Right, exactly. Well, it's because the person who's right brain, you ask them how to do it, since they do it instinctively and naturally without having to think about it or define it, they haven't thought about it, they can't define it, and they cannot communicate to a left brain person how to shift hemispheres, get to the right side of their brain, and how to learn to honor intuition and honor flow, because no one's taught about that. Well, today there, there are actually books on flow, the flow experience. You can read them, but Back in 1979, when I learned this, there were no books on flow. There was no ed- educational process on flow. All they told me is stop daydreaming, stop flowing, and think. Um, because God gave you a brain, you're supposed to use it, which, of course, is not biblical, because God said, lay not to your own understanding. So we were just mm-hmm. worshiping a false god back then, and, and I knew nothing about breaking the thoughts in my mind into three categories, like I just mentioned. And, and realizing there's one of those three categories that I want to embrace, the other two I want to reject. Yeah. So I think the, um, uh, you know that you know that you know that uh, those statements came from right brainers, didn't they? <laughs> they most certainly, they most certainly did. And I have to forgive, release, honor, and bless them all. Even though they really ticked me off right. at that in time, like, excuse me, you're not helping me. Yeah, yeah. And so you and your wife wrote uh, another complimentary book for the right brainers, I think, right? The, uh, um, what is that book called? Dialogue with God. Dialogue with God, right. So yeah. uh, the, the, uh, the right brain. I think that both books should be read by both right brain and left brainers, though, by the way. So, uh, but I think that it's great uh, that you recognize that, too. Um, but some, something... Before you um, describe the four keys, um, as I was uh, going back through some of the content again in chapter three, I uh, wanted to bring, bring this out. The um, chapter is called Spiritual Intimacy, the Desire of God's Heart, right? And I think that there's probably listeners out there that just um, don't really understand what, what is the desire of God's heart when it comes to this topic. Could you tell us a little more about what are the desires of God's heart related to intimacy with his children? Sure, Michael. Um, you know, I thought God's biggest desire for me was that I would serve him and obey him. And that's not the biggest desire of his heart. You know, the biggest desire of his heart is he created us so that he could have someone to have fellowship with and to share his love with. And he, and he did that in the Garden of Eden. He took a day, he walks in the cool of the day, and he had conversations with with humans with the ones he created to have relationship with and so his passion was to have a conversation with us to to chat with us to talk with us same as my desire with my wife patty (laughs) Mm. you know know, she didn't marry me so that i could you know serve her and obey her she married and i didn't marry her so she could serve me and obey me we married each other so that we could have communication and we could share our love and walk together and that's and we're engaged to get married right now with the Lord, you know. And that whole engagement period, the whole purpose of it is to talk deeply, to share your life deeply, to make to get to know one another well, 
And then to say, yes, this is a person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Let's, let's get married. So starting the Garden of Eden, the first thing we see is God didn't hand us a rule book. He didn't say, here's a book, you know, live out of it. Um, Patty did not hand me a rule book when I got married with her and say, here's a book, live out of it. She said, I'm coming to join with you so we can talk every day. It's, when I get up in the morning, I don't go through my rule book as to what I'm supposed to say and do to Patty. I say, good morning. I love you. And I give her a big hug. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us every day. And he gets to do that every day when I do two-way journaling, which I do do on a very, very regular basis. Um, and, and we share love together. And, and that's what the Garden of Eden was all about. And that's what Jesus did with the Father. He did only what he heard and saw his Father doing. So, so from Genesis all the way through to, to the end of the New Testament to where John is writing the book of Revelation. And he's just, 22 chapters, he is writing out his missionary encounters and what he's hearing God saying, what he's hearing angels saying. He's dialoguing. He's dialoguing. He's living out of a dialogue with God. So Genesis 2 and 3, it starts that way, a dialogue with God. Revelation 22, it ends with a dialogue with God. Jesus modeled a dialogue with God. That's what it's all about. It's not about a book of rules that I'm supposed to grunt hard to keep. And um, we kind of desecrated it into that and turned it into that, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for spelling that out. I think that's so important. So it's vital. Uh, just to understand that piece, really, that was a big uh, turning point for me as well. And looking at uh, relationship and you know, spending time together, um, I think it's, you know, for me, it's evolved where God wants to spend every waking minute and, and when I'm asleep as well. <laughs> he yep, wants, exactly. He's spending time with me in my dreams while I'm asleep. I mean, he loves us so much that he just, he never stops. He's relentless. And um, so yeah, it goes even further than that relationship with our spouse where, you know, we go off to work or whatever it is and we spend a little time by ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, God never leaves us. It's a, it, he's constantly there waiting for us to have that dialogue with him. So it's phenomenal. Amen. So you, um, uh, could you describe just briefly what, what are these four keys to hearing God's voice that you spell out in the book? Okay. I'd be glad to do that. Uh, so this year, focused effort, you know, means that I spent the whole year in my morning devotional time looking, looking at passages that talked about hearing God's voice and seeing vision so I could learn whatever I could learn from them, praying over them, asking for revelation, uh, reading books on hearing God's voice and praying over conferences on hearing God's voice, praying over that and experimenting with it and then preaching on it. And uh, so the four keys the Lord showed me. They're all, they're all found in numerous places in the Bible. One is Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2, which is where the passage he took me to to teach me the four keys. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. He can hear the voice of God. He can see vision. He can write out page after page of what God is saying. Now, of course, David in the Psalms did that for 150 Psalms. John in the book of Revelation did, did that for 22 chapters. So, so many, many, many places in the Bible you can see prophetic people using these four keys. So the four keys, Habakkuk 2, verse 1. He said, I'm going to go to my guard post. Uh, so key number one is to go have a quiet place where you can just get alone, quiet your mind down in the presence of God. And, and I think everybody knows they're supposed to do that, except for <clears throat> many of us have been taught not to do that because they've been taught, don't you dare still your mind, because if you do, Satan can move upon it. Well, maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, guess who else can move on a still mind? The Holy Ghost. And do I live in fear of Satan or do I live in 
faith that uh, if I ask for the spirit, I receive the spirit and I don't get a serpent, mm, all right? And I don't get yeah. a stone, I get the Holy Spirit. Now I, I got to place my faith someplace. I can place it in what Jesus said to me as a promise, or I can place it in fear and say, oh, I'm afraid of Satan. Well, I'm not afraid of Satan because he has no authority and no power because Jesus defeated him on Calvary, all right? And all authority was taken from Satan and given to Jesus and he gave it to us. So. I have zero fear of Satan, you know, because he has mm -hmm. no power unless I invite him to have power in life. So, mm -hmm. so I rebuked my fear that if I still my mind, Satan would move on it. And I chose to still my mind and ask God to move on it. So key number one is stillness. Just quiet your mind down. The simplest way to quiet your mind down is to use key number two. <clears throat> now back, I said, I'm going to keep watch to see. Uh, and I thought, huh, see. He's using the eyes of his heart. Vision. And of course, Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you might see, that you might know. And all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God gives vision. God gives Abraham a vision of millions of millions of stars and says, that's the promise fulfilled in your life as to what you're going to have if you follow my voice. And as soon as God gave him that promise in Genesis 15, 5, the next verse says, then Abram believes. So faith is inflamed when I have a vision of the promise fulfilled. So I'm always asking God, would you give me a vision of promise fulfilled for my marriage? Well, you know, what will my marriage look like when we're living in the full ecstasy that you have planned for us? And I tune to flow and a floating picture lights by my mind. Uh, Abraham got his in a dream. So you can, you can get a dream at night. That's fine because that's floating pictures also. And spontaneous words and spontaneous pictures, which are two things we're tuning to, flowing words and flowing pictures. Flowing words are Jesus' voice. Flowing pictures are his vision. So he can give, he can give you a vision of your, your marriage fulfilled, uh, um, God ruling in the nation. He can give you a vision of anything and everything. And he will if you ask him for it. And uh, if you look at the gaze upon that vision, <laughs> what the Lord said to me, he said, Mark, whatever you fix your eyes on grows within you. Whatever grows within you, you become. So if I see a merit, a, a vision of Patty and I in total harmony and bliss and honoring one another, and I hold that vision as I walk through life and as I relate to her, that's what is created in my marriage. And if I hold some other stupid vision that's not that, then I'm going to create that in my marriage. If I hold a vision that can't make it, we're going to be separated, um, she doesn't understand me. I don't understand her. She can't meet my needs. I can't meet hers. If I believe that and picture that, I create that reality. Whatever mm. I fix my eyes on grows within me. Whatever grows within me, I become. It's a million-dollar journal entry that God gave me 40 years ago, and I've lived out of it for 40 years. So it's so a vision. So key number two is vision. Take the eyes of your heart. Fix them on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, fixing her eyes on Jesus. So, if I'm, so the way I do that is I do Acts 2.35, I believe it is. Uh, King David said, I behold the Lord at my right hand. He's picturing the Lord right there next to him. So that's what I do. I've got to picture something next to me. I can picture nobody next to me, which, of course, is a filthy lie. It's, it's unbiblical. It's demonic. It's, I'm picturing an evil. That's an evil imagination. Because the Bible mm -hmm. says God, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So I can picture what the Bible says is true, which I would define as a godly imagination, or I can picture there's nobody next to me and I'm all alone, I'm scared spitless. And the Bible says, sure, if you want to have an evil imagination and picture things contrary to the word of God, then you're going to go backwards and not forward. And in this case, I'm going backwards means I'm full of fear, okay? Like I'm all alone, of course I'm scared spitless. So I've chosen 
to scrap evil imaginations and only picture things the Bible says are so. So Psalm 16, 8, King David says, I have set the Lord at my right hand. So I'm going to go ahead and just do what King David did because he was a man after God's own heart. I'm going to set the Lord at my right hand and I'm going to picture my theology. Picture Jesus here with me. <laughs> and I did that first day I learned to use vision. I pictured myself in John chapter 4, Samaritan woman of the well. There's Jesus sitting there, long flowing white robes, um, gentle, loving countenance, sandals on his feet, beautiful warm day. And I put myself in a scene. I'm sitting there next to him, and he's got the biggest smile on his face I've ever seen. And he's encouraging me to lighten up and smile because <laughs> I was too busy grunting real hard to be a good Christian and try to keep all the rules. And he said, excuse me, it's about a love relationship with me. Would you lighten up and have a party, you know, and let me flow through you? Because I can keep the rules in you if you ask. You know, you don't have to put on your own strength. Just ask me to do it, and I'll do it. I'll circumcise your heart, cut out the evil, and give you a clean heart and a new heart. So key number two is to use vision, to learn to take the eyes of your heart and do what the Bible says to do with them. Fix them on Jesus. <clears throat> I said, well, I, don't, I can't do that, God. I said, I'm, I'm fixing the Antichrist, and that scares me spitless, and that's pretty exciting because that's a very big topic nowadays. He said, did I tell you to fix your eyes on the Antichrist? I said, you must have. The book that I read, <clears throat> read sold millions of copies. It was a bestseller. I'm sure you know, you're behind that. He said, I never, ever, ever told you to fix your eyes on the Antichrist. I said, dwell on things which are lovely, just, pure, and a good report. And I specifically said, fix your eyes on Jesus. I also specifically said, I will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. And that word mind is yetzer in the Hebrew, whose imagination, that's the correct definition of the word yetzer, whose imagination is stayed upon me. Well, I want perfect peace. Perfect peace turns on all my healing genes, makes me healthy, makes me happy, makes, makes life fun, makes my marriage fun. So I don't spend any time looking at me, my sinfulness, my weakness, the Antichrist, or anything else that's cruddy, because if I do, those things grow within me, and then I become me, sinful, weak, or cruddy. I don't need that. So learning to use the eyes of my heart properly was crucial. I had had zero teaching on it. Now I have a lot of teaching on it, and I just gave you a mini sermon on it. We'll give you two full chapters in the book on uh, Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice on using the eyes of your heart properly. So key number two is vision. Key number one, quiet yourself down. Key number two, picture Jesus at your right side. Uh, key number three, recognize his voice. Well, from Habakkuk, I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. So he's able to hear his voice. So we're going to say key number three is God's voice sounds like spontaneous flowing thoughts that light up on your mind. I had uh, zero definition of flow, but... Um, 40 years ago, but now I understand flow out of my innermost being shall flow rivers, living water as he spoke of the spirit. That's John 7, 37 to 39. So there's a flow. There's a flow within every Christian and it's the Holy Spirit. So when I have flowing thoughts, it's coming from the spirit realm um, because they're not analytical. They analytical come from my head. Flowing comes from the spirit. realm. If they're flowing and lining up with the names of the wonderful counselor, then, um, you know, if they're wonderful counsel, edifying teaching, then they're coming from God. If it's flowing and lining up the names of the Satan, if they're accusative, a thief that steals, kills, and destroys my faith, hope, and love, then they're demonic. So, so I make sure to tune, to live, tune to, with my eyes fixed on Jesus, picturing him next to me, a big smile on my face, tune to flowing thoughts that are loving, kind, gentle, wonderful counsel, and truthful. 
And uh, that's key number three. And then key number four, God says to Habakkuk, inscribe the vision. So he's saying, get your pencil out. Or for me, it's my computer. <clears throat> it can be your iPod that you speak into if you want to, your iPhone you speak into and it types for you or records for you. But I do mine on my, on my computer. They do say if you get your hand involved, it's, it's really very helpful as far as left and right hemisphere brain functions and whole brain learning because it activates activities on both sides of your brain if you're actually writing out what you're receiving. So I'm tuned to flow. Flowing thoughts are coming, and I'm just writing. I'm journaling. Just like David did 150 Psalms, a man journaling, right out of his prayer time. And um, so yeah, I, I write that out. And those are the four keys. So stillness, vision, spontaneity, journaling. Anybody uses those four keys can hear God's voice any time they use them and every time they use them, guaranteed. Thank you so much, Mark, for describing the four keys. And there's a... Uh so much to unpack there and and i know that that's just you're, you're really just scratching the surface because um the content in the book and then there's also a course uh, that you put together that's um uh, i'm going to ask you about in a few minutes uh, as well that just goes deeper and deeper into a lot of a lot of different pieces and moving parts here but the one i wanted to ask you about was um, the importance of of writing it down but not judging whether you think it's from God or not, like what, what was, if you could, can you describe what that's about? What's the importance of not as you're writing it down, just let it flow instead of saying, wait a minute, is this God or not? Right. <laughs> sure. I'd be glad to. <clears throat> when I first noticed that idea that Habakkuk God told him to inscribe the vision, <laughs> my reaction to that was not very cool. I explained to God, in case he didn't know, I said, look, I, I actually hate writing. I hate English. I hate grammar. I hate spelling. I flunked English and grammar in, in high school. I took remedial English in college, and I married an English major, which is the only reason I can write a book that people might want to read is because she fixes it, you know. So I'm explaining to God why his ideas are not very cool, and, and I'm a man. I'm a he-man. I'm like Tarzan, you know. Men, men don't write. Women write. Sissies write, you know. And um so the thought that came back was, you know, you could just try it just to see if, uh, if it works. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll try it just, just to prove it's not going to work in my life. So, so I quieted myself down, pictured Jesus next to me, tuned the flow. And I said, good morning, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I wrote that down. And uh, I asked him specifically what he wanted to say to me about this teenage girl who we'd taken into our home, essentially like a foster child. She, her parents went to our church. She had run away from their home, and, and uh, she was living in it. They asked if she could live in our home. We could try to minister grace to her. And we took her in, and she was breaking all the household rules, and I was ready to read her the riot act, and she left for school, so I couldn't. So I, I journaled for the first time that morning using these four keys. And I said, Lord, what about Renee? And I turned to flow, and the thought that came back was, I mean, as I'm looking at Jesus, the scene comes alive and Jesus gestures. So when this godly imagination comes alive and he starts moving, it's no longer a godly imagination. I've just stepped into a vision. And as he gestures, a spontaneous flowing thought comes to me, which is um, love unconditionally. It's simple. So I wrote down love unconditionally. I looked back at the scenes that Lord is or more. And um, scene didn't come alive a second time, but a flowing thought, second thought came. She's very insecure. I opened my eyes and wrote that down and said, huh, that's totally different than what I was thinking. I was thinking she's very rebellious. 
And I thought, well, maybe I'm looking at the outside facade of a girl who's a runaway girl, scared spitless on the inside and covering it up with a facade of rebellion. So do I administer to people's facades or do I administer to their broken hearts? Of course, the answer is pretty simple. You administer to their broken hearts. So when she came home, I spent an, an hour building a deeper relationship and fruit was good. She stayed at dinner at home and came to church every Sunday for the next year. So that's all a good fruit, which is a lot better fruit than if I had read of the riot act, because that means she would have ran away from my home too. So that was my first time to journal. I took it to my wife, Patty. I shared it with her and she said, yeah, that's God speaking. So I, I went back that day and I tried it again, more keys, stillness, vision, flow, and journaling. And I got another half a page, a paragraph or so. And I took it to Patty and she said, yeah, it's still God. And so I went back and did the same thing again, stillness, vision, flow, and journaling. And got another half page, took it to Patty and she said, it's still God. So, so I spent the whole day, I spent five hours doing this because this was my breakthrough point in my Christian life. I'd been 10 years without being able to live, hear his voice. So I had to live out of biblical law and be a Pharisee. Now I got to actually have a loving relationship with Jesus, and uh, which was cool, totally life-changing. So I did journal about it. I said, Lord, how come writing released the flow within me? Because I was convinced that if I was going to write my prayer out, it would doubly kill him because I already can't hear your voice. And and if I have to write it out, it'll be doubly dead. And, uh, and so here's what he said to me. He said, Mark, before you knew enough to write out your prayer time, you would come to me and ask a question. I would get two words out of my mouth, and you would go, hmm, wonder if that's God. <laughs> and he said, hmm, is not faith. Hmm, is doubt. And I did not say that those who doubt get anything from me. I said those who come in faith receive from me. And so you would come in faith for two seconds, get two words, shift the doubt, jam the receiver, hang up on me, and it was impossible to have a conversation with you. But if you'll journal, you don't need to doubt when the first two words come because you're going to write in simple childlike faith for five minutes or whatever you want to, just believing that there really is a river that flows from my throne. The river does flow into your heart and out through you. And you're just going to write in faith from that flow, believing Christianity is totally real and the, the river is really real, knowing you don't have to test it now because when the flow is over, you can go back and test it later. And if I, that means I can stay in faith for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes and let God talk for 15 minutes or five minutes, knowing I can test it later. If I can test it later, I don't have to test it now, which means I can stay in the faith mode, which means I can be hearing for five minutes straight and writing for five minutes straight. So journaling is a tool that lets me stay in faith for an extended period of time, knowing I can test it later, therefore I don't have to test it now. So, so it's a priceless million-dollar gift, and all the prophets did it. Uh, the majority of the Bible was written by prophetic people. I mean, they, all, they obviously all wrote out what they were getting from God, so we, so we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chapters of people in the Bible modeling, journaling, and actually modeling all four keys. One, one of my blogs, I take you through, I don't know, 15 different people or so in the Bible who are used, and I show you verses where they're using all four of these keys, and I total up the chapters that those particular people wrote, and I never, never got to the minor prophets, and the chapters they wrote were more than half the Bible. So majority of the Bible was written by people using these four keys and journaling stuff out. Um, so that God doesn't model something just so I can ignore it. He models it so I can do it. 
And by doing it, <laughs> that first day, the four keys, doing all four together, I was able to listen to God for five hours. And I was a guy who hadn't identified his voice ever in the first 10 years of my Christian life. And I just wrote wow. for five hours. So completely life-changing for me. <clears throat> wow. That's incredible. Yeah, as it was for me when I first encountered this teaching. And so you so you ran it by your wife and she read it and she she could confirm in her spirit that it was God speaking because she had heard God's voice. She had, I'm sure, through many different mechanisms, one of them always being the word of God and reading that, of course. Um, and so the importance of of having someone else take a look at the journal and and confirm that. I think you mentioned in, in your book, you know, one of the one of the reasons is um, because that's a you know builds your faith just to confirm that that yes that was God right. Um, and I know in your course um, and and your you you have a really it's a community online I think where you can uh, you can interact with other people and and uh, likely even get a coach on your website and go so far as to I, I was just thinking in terms of people who who really needs someone who, who really has heard God's voice, who really, someone who's doing this already. I think you, people can get access to that on your website, right? And find someone, a coach or a mentor, or someone that they could run their journaling by and they can get that confirmation, especially if they sign up for the course, uh, which is at uh, cluschoolofthespirit.com, right? Um, so can you fill in the blanks of what, uh, what I was... Sure discussing there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yes, it's really crucial to share your journaling with some other people. We do have people online you can share journaling with. If, if um, we have three or four different websites, you gave one of the website addresses, CLU School of the Spirit, and, and we have a full 10 hours of audio and video of me teaching on the four keys hearing God's voice. And we have uh, lessons that you can do and things and the 300 page book is there as part of that training module and the workbook for 32 pages so you can take notes as you're going along and uh quizzes self-scoring quizzes so you can make sure you learn what you're supposed to learn so you don't just monkey around and and just say oh i, I listened to him talk and therefore i got it no but <laughs> listening to somebody talk and then learning the skill are two totally different things so so we, right. in those 10 weeks, we take you through enough stuff so you can actually learn the skill of two-way journaling. And, um, and yes, there's a chat room there with the, those who take that course where you can submit your journaling. And I'm the one who oversees that chat room, and I'll be glad to respond back and let you know, yeah, that, that's gone. Or if I think it's not, I can tell you that too. So that's available. We also have an, another way that you can share your journaling too. Um, if you go to our other website, our main website, which is cwgministries.org, cwgministries.org, and you type in the search bar, share journaling, it'll take you to a blog where we've got oh, eight or nine different people who've been journaling for 20 or 30 years or more, and, do, and, and they're glad to let you submit your, your journaling to them, for them to let you know if their heart bears witness it came from God. And that's a free service. Um, and they just love to encourage people in two-way journaling. And they have been doing it for many, many years of their life. And in that blog is a picture of each of these different people. There's a bio of each one of them. There's an email address to connect with them. There's a sample of their two-way journaling. So you can get to feel them before you email them and say, hey, could I start sharing journaling with you? And just so you find somebody you feel good about. So, so we do have multiple resources. Uh, 
And we have a third resource. You can, you can hire a personal spiritual trainer coach. So if you go to the CWG Ministries website and look, type in TST for personal spiritual trainer, it'll take you to a place where you can actually hire a coach for three months to help walk you through the course. And you can share your journaling, your questions, your issues, and everything with. So, so we've, and, and then we have a whole college course, a whole three-credit college course where you have an instructor who grades you and and that's in a Christian Leadership University online. That's another website, cluonline.com. So that's like four different ways. In addition to just buying just the book and the, and the audio and video, just doing it on your own, which you can do that off the CWG Ministries website. So that's four or five different ways that you can get it. Um, anybody who takes um, three months of their life and works through this material intentionally, uh, uh, daily, they will master the skill and, and this will be a part of your life for the rest of your life. Um, I had one guy call me, wanted to hire me as a personal spiritual trainer coach, which you can do for a hundred bucks, you know, for three months. And so I just asked him the first couple of questions what the Lord had said about a couple of things. Cause he said he'd taken the course and, and he said, well, I think I need to go back and actually do the exercises in the course. Cause all he did was listen to me teach it. Listening uh, to me teaching is not doing the exercises in the course. And the reason he felt he needed to coach is because nothing was working for him is because he hadn't even done the exercises. So, so the, I'm just saying, do the exercises, because if you do, you'll master the skill. How important is it to have two or three people to share your journey with? Mm-hmm. Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact in the Greek, it's rhema. Every rhema is confirmed. So God says it doesn't, didn't say, and Rhema is spoken word, okay? But God didn't say, look, you're going to confirm your, my spoken words to you by thinking them through theologically. Um, the word theology is not even in the Bible. And of course, I've been, told, I've been told not to lean to my own understanding. So me thinking theologically is going to be a sin, sin, sin. So surely not going to do that, all right? He says, uh, the mouth of two or three witnesses, every Rhema is confirmed. So I've had three people for 40 years that I respect in the Lord as being spiritual, who can hear from God, and, and one is my wife. And at this point, two others are my two children, which are adult children who work with us in the ministry, Joshua and Charity. They're 40, 38 and 40. And, um, and so if I got journaling that's edgy or I'm uncertain about, I'm going to take and email it out to the three of them. And, and I'm, I'm, going to ask a, I'm going to ask a specific question, which is a question you need to memorize and ask. Does your heart bear witness this came from God? So you're not asking them, do you think this came from God? Because you don't want to know what they think, because the Bible is crystal clear. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. So never enter into sin or cause a person to enter into sin by asking them what they think about anything. Ask them, does your heart bear witness this came from God? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm checking somebody's journaling and asking that question, I'm, I'm asking, does is the tenor of it loving and kind and passionate and full of faith and full of hope and full of truth and full of life? Because that's who Jesus is. And if that's the tenor of the journal entry, I'm going to say, yep, that came from God. If it's accusative and negative and destructive and adversarial, I'm going to say, oops, that's the name of Satan. I'm <laughs> sorry. You got tuned into an evil spirit there. And that's okay. It's fine to make mistakes. And that's why you have three people you bounce it off from because I'm 100% convinced if my three spiritual advisors tell me their heart bears witness, it came from God, it, it came from God. I can walk out in faith on the water, expecting a miracle, 
on knowing that I'm following the voice of God because I've used his paradigm for discovering truth, which is submission to three people and not the Western world's paradigm, which is think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And wrinkle your brow. Right. Right. You know, I, I actually made that mistake too. When I first got started, I submitted my journal entry to a mentor and I, and I said that, what do you, do you think that this is from God? And, <laughs> You know, my motive was pure. I was just thinking, I was thinking, there I go. I, I was, my, my heart was pure. I was, I just really wanted to know, but it was, a, it was a play on words. I emailed it to him and what I got back was, was uh, some theology and, and uh, this and that, you know, this, this lines up with this and this kind of lines up over here. And, and uh, so I sent the, um, I sent a second email and I said, the almost exact words of what you said, does your heart bear witness that this is from God? You know, does the spirit, do you feel, do you sense the spirit of God telling you? Um, and I got a completely different response. Um, saying I, you know, and it was just the way that I worded the question. And that's, you're exactly right. I, it, it's not, it isn't about what they think you're, what you're looking for is for God to confirm with them. That, Amen. That it, Amen. That it's him. Yeah. Amen. So, we and and we do learn from our mistakes. I think that's totally fine. I uh, I, I had a, a couple of entries where I thought well, this is a little weird. This sounds different than what I've been getting. And I said it to my mentor, and he said, "No, I, I don't think that's from God. <laughs> I think that was you. That was you. You know, trying to spin your own thing of what you wanted. And and I was okay. You know, you have to be open to to yeah. hearing the truth from people yeah. when you really ask, right?" Yeah. But, it, you know, if we're, not, if we're not free to make mistakes, we can't learn any new skill. I mean, you're not going to learn how to play basketball without missing the hoop whole slew of times, you know. And, and so we just have to celebrate mistakes and recognize, hey, that's part of life. And, and one of the things in our 10 hours teacher in the 300 page book is we talk about the most common mistakes and how to avoid them. And, and one of the best ways to purify your journey to make sure the flow is coming from God is to make sure your eyes are fixed on Jesus and you're not looking someplace else. I had a lady come to me with her journey, and she wanted to submit it to me, and, it, and she was journeying about one of the other elders in our church, and, and the journaling said, the elder's wife is a witch, and because she will not repent, God's going to kill her, and then I'm going to marry that elder. And oh, I said my. to the lady, I said, no, that's not God speaking to her, but you see, where were her eyes fixed? She's, this is one of the teachings in our, in our book, uh, praying with an idol in your heart. So she had an idol in her heart, which was her fantasy love relationship with this elder, and she also was picturing the stress in her current marriage and she's tuned to flow and she's and the principle is the flow comes out of the vision being held before your eyes so she doesn't have her eyes fixed on jesus she's getting a corrupt flow just like balaam did when he prayed with an eye in his heart and god said sure you can go curse the israelites but god went ahead and <laughs> sent an angel to lop off his head because he had his eyes fixed on how much money he could get from the king if he went and did this and the new testament clearly says that his idol was money so so I've got to make sure that I'm doing key number two. I got my eyes fixed on Jesus while I'm doing the flow. And I just picture mm-hmm. him here next to me, a big smile on his face. He, he's having a party. Um, you, can, mm-hmm. you can Google the phrase, the laughing Jesus, because the, the vision that I get of Jesus always from day one, he's laughing hilariously, just like that vision. And I bought that picture and I've got it hanging on, the, on my wall because He's having a good time. And he says, a merry heart does good like medicine. He says, and everything give thanks and have a party. because A lot of good things happen. Turns on all your healing genes. Life is fun. You know, just 
Mm. And um, and so he's laughing and telling me to lighten up because religion was never about lightening up. Religion was about grunting hard and stressing yourself out and mm-hmm. and looking looking at the antichrist and being full of fear and oh my gosh, just so unhealthy. Christianity, which is what we're talking about here, is incredibly healthy and life. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Verkler, thank you so much for being on this uh, episode here. We're going to put the links to some of the websites that we talked about and you mentioned uh, in the description of this podcast so listeners can go there and uh, get a copy of the book. I highly recommend the courses um, and you will get so much more from just listening like uh, Dr. Verkler mentioned. So thank you so much for joining us today.